0: Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand-waving. I'm your host, Paige, and together we are going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, and most importantly, good omens. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 58, The Omens. The Omens. <laughs> Today we're talking about omens, signs and symbols from the universe, synchronicity, and animal messengers. I've also got a very special Halloween treat since we are only one week away. Ah, I'm so excited. The word omen has some pretty spooky energy. Omens are thought of as inherently bad. I mean, we use the word ominous when we feel that something bad is about to happen when it's approaching. We use the word omen itself in the context of the end of the world or the rapture or, you know, the the rebirth of Satan, you know, (laughs) it's rarely had a positive meaning. They're rarely good. (laughs) But omens come to us every day and truly are a very neutral event Sure, there are some spooky and downright gross omens that could foretell danger or even the end of the world, theoretically, but these messages can also give us a heads up about good fortune, guide us down a certain path, or answer our spiritual questions. You could seek out these messages for yourself, or they may just fall right into your lap. The really wild thing about omens is that they could mean absolutely anything to anyone. The one the message is for may be the only one who can interpret it, or may get a different interpretation than others. Which means all of these symbols have been both good and bad throughout history. The black cat is a really great example. A black cat crossing your path is bad luck to some, while to others the cat is a symbol of magic and power. And to have one cross your path or stop for a visit is a sign that you're in touch with the magic of the universe. (laughs) Guess which camp I fall into. (laughs) Black cats tend to show up at my house quite a lot, and I'm always just so delighted. The engine that drives omens is called synchronicity, and in fact I'd say that's the engine that drives a lot of our magical beliefs and practices. This is another term by the late great Carl Jung, the psychologist-slash-mystic-slash-astrology enthusiast that I've been a little bit obsessed with this year. Synchronicity is the simultaneous manifestation of events that seem to be significantly related, but have no apparent connection. Yes, this is what we call the coincidence. If you've ever heard someone say that there are no such thing as coincidences, and that everything happens for a reason, which of course can be a very shitty thing to say, by the way, so be careful where you say that stuff, these people are talking about synchronicity. According to Jung, the universe, as the force that connects all of us, is constantly communicating with us through symbols, but that the human logic default setting (laughs) that we're all on gets in the way of us seeing and understanding them. We've talked about archetypes here on the show before, these universal symbols that all humans recognize and that are repeated throughout history, like the hero and the villain, God and the devil, good and evil. An archetypal constellation is when these symbols link together to form a cohesive message. A tarot reading, for example, is an archetypal constellation. Each card has its own meaning, but when you put them all together, it takes on a new or more fleshed out meaning. So let's say you've got your tarot cards out and you ask about the direction of your relationship going forward. And pull three cards. First, you get the Empress. A strong and sensual person in touch with their emotions and intuition. Then you get the Ace of Cups, the arrival of a new relationship or a new emotional connection. Finally, you pull the Emperor, the counterpart to our dear Empress. This person is as strong and fair-minded as the other card, but is more in tune with their logic and leadership qualities. Altogether this sounds a lot like a new relationship with two people that are very evenly matched. But what if you're already in a relationship? Maybe it's a new baby, or a third person joining a polyamorous relationship, or even finding something new to connect over. The constellation connects all of these archetypes to deliver a message. But the message still really depends on the person getting it. One of the most famous omens in human history is the appearance of Halley's Comet in the sky every 75 years. Halley has been recorded by humans all over the world since about 467 BCE, very long time ago. <laughs> In 1066, Halley's flight through our atmosphere was first recorded as a bad omen, foretelling the death of Harold II of England at the Battle of Hastings. Halley was very fairly close to the Earth at the time, and it appeared to be about four times the size of Venus, and almost half as bright as the full moon. So this was very very visible across the sky. To Harold and his subjects, the comet was a frightening omen, signaling the end of Anglo-Saxon Europe and of his rule. Of course, William the Conqueror, (laughs) the man who killed Harold and took over the throne, saw Haley as a good omen, a wonderful sign from heaven that he would be victorious. And he was, of course, right. But so was Harold. (laughs) A monk at the time wrote this about the reappearance of the comet, and I, I think it's so fantastic. You've come, have you? You've come, you source of tears to many mothers. You evil, I hate you. It is long since I saw you, but as I see you now, you are much more terrible. For I see you brandishing the downfall of my country. I hate you. (laughs) Haley is an interesting symbol because it's appeared in our lifetimes. The last time it was around was the year I was born, actually, which I think means it's a very good sign. When it comes to deciphering omens, it's all about perspective and the other points in your constellation. The end of the world is a pretty popular topic of conversation for the universe, apparently, and there are said to be tons of different ways to know if everything is just about to implode on us. This is mainly a Christian belief, and actually it's mainly an American Christian belief. Our old friends from the Salem Witch Trials, Increase, and Cotton Mather were huge fans of the coming apocalypse or the rapture. And there are tons of signs that lead up to it, like world wars, certain stars or planets aligning, widespread hunger and famine and discord between all the people of the earth. Which is why, of course, many Christians who hold these beliefs truly believe we are approaching the end. One of my favorite omens of the end times is about the behavior of people. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. What I like about that one is that I see so many tenets of modern witchcraft in there. You know, we've got loving yourself, uh, hustling for the abundance, taking back your power, sex positivity, and even atheistic or secular magical practices. So, not all the qualities listed in that passage above are positive, of course, but the world and human beings will never be 100% positive. The reason I love this particular description is because to me it's it's kind of true, but not in the fire and brimstone kind of way. So all over the world, and North America in particular, people are giving up organized religion in favor of atheism or, you know, spiritual but not religious beliefs. So I don't think Christianity will cease to exist in my lifetime uh, or ever, really. And I, I hope it doesn't because I... You know, it's such a big part of history, Um, but I do see a sharp decline in the belief in Christianity. And this, of course, has caused many problems with organized religion feeling threatened and even starting to fight back. So maybe we are approaching the end times, but of the hold of these dominant faiths, because there are different ones all over the world, um, the effect that they have on our our countries and our governments, you know, maybe we'll actually see the separation of church and state. There are many different ways to interpret an omen. Besides, if you've watched or read Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, you know the world's not really going to end, and that there's a second book of the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutterwitch out there. So don't worry about it. <laughs> so synchronicity and even omens are already something that has a place in your life or your practice, even if you don't realize it. This force is present in divination, astrology, and even our spell work. When we burn a candle for a certain purpose, we of course course know what we're trying to do. We know what our intentions are. But to everyone else, there's no connection between your spell candle burning down to nothing and getting offered that new job. These are things that each happened maybe around the same time doesn't mean they're connected. Spells can even include the reading of omens specifically. So candles produce smoke and wax and fire and crackling sounds. And all of these different things can be interpreted to tell you the future failure or success of your spell. And actually about that specifically, you can find information about how to read wax and candle smoke and um, the behavior of your candles in Coventry Magic by Jackie Smith. She's got an entire chapter on what the behavior of your candles means. So that's very interesting. (laughs) When you're reading cards, a lot of people take a card that randomly pops out while they're shuffling as an omen and give extra consideration to the meaning of that card. Astrology is, I mean, absolutely full of this stuff. (laughs) Astrology and omens go together like peanut butter and jelly, my friends. In ancient Mesoamerica, the appearance of Venus in the sky foretold a period of war and strife. And we often associate this with the appearance of Mars, or even with certain movements of Uranus, as we spoke about earlier this year. Mercury retrograde is one of our most popular astrological omens, and Mercury appearing retrograde foretells a time when we have issues with communication and electronics and everything else in the domain of Mercury. One of the easiest ways to start noticing these messages from the universe are to look for repeating images or elements. So seeing or hearing the same word everywhere all of a sudden, the same tarot card coming up in every reading or in readings right before, you know, very similar events, repeating numbers, which are sometimes called angel numbers, and recurring dreams. So the year I started the podcast, which was 2015, I would definitely say that I had a spiritual awakening that year um, that I'm pretty sure I'm still quite in the thick of, which is cool. Since then, I started to notice more and more repeating signs and symbols and things that led me down this path that I'm walking. And since hindsight is 2020, I can now actually really see all those repeated messages and you know, exactly where they led me and how they affected that year or that time period or that event or whatever. So every year I have a word of the year, and this isn't something I purposely choose necessarily. It's something I see and hear everywhere all of a sudden. This came up in my interview with Joanna DeVoe. She mentioned her word of the year was queen, and it might have even been the same year. That's funny. Um, But it's, it's something that just comes up, it sticks in your brain, it's you start seeing it everywhere. And the theme around that word starts to become very important in your life. This year's word was authenticity. And I mean, I heard this word from psychics, like right out of their mouths in card readings in books that I was reading for work for the podcast. And in almost all of the astrological information I learned about myself earlier this year, like most of the things in my birth chart that tell me where to go, you know, that indicate my soul's purpose really surrounds authenticity. And that's something that I've been working on a lot all year. So months later, someone in the witch and bitch, you know, they said they wanted to focus on authenticity and self-expression. And it's like little bells went off and that was happening all year. It's still happening now. So I've been paying attention to these moments and when the word presents itself and have focused more on the word itself. So I've considered its meaning and, you know, what it means to me. Am I living authentically? Do I actually even know who I am? Right? Now? Who am I? Am I showing others the authentic version of myself or am I hiding that? The topic of understanding authenticity has even been coming up more in my mental health treatment and the things that I'm learning about mental illness. So authenticity ended up being something I had to focus on all year both spiritually and psychologically. Even if I hadn't embraced it, it still would have come up. But I'm I'm I am glad that I did embrace that because it's been very very helpful for me. This has been a fantastic year. I also often find that a color will kind of dominate my life for a year. Like it'll just all of a sudden become everything to me. I'll start wearing it every day. I'll want to paint my walls or I'll go ahead and paint my walls. It'll be something I never liked, whatever. At the beginning of this year, I started to see the color orange everywhere and I started to kind of seek it out, right? Like I was looking at more orange stones and I was just, I I was admiring more things that happened to be full of the color orange and thinking about it. Uh, I like orange, you know, (laughs) I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I like pumpkins and sunsets and what have you. But orange is a color like I, I purposely before this year, I personally believe that orange was the absolute worst color you could put on my body. I have kind of olive toned skin, right? So when I put on the orange, my skin just looks green. <laughs> um, So I always avoided it and I've even complained about it. Like my sister's bridesmaids dresses were orange and I've never let it go. And then in the spring this year, I started buying orange clothing and I'm like, okay, what's going on now? It really started to get my attention that orange was going to be coming into my life, whether I liked it or not. And I've been wearing it all year and it's been showing up all over the place. The things that the books that arrive in the mail have been overwhelmingly orange, you know? (laughs) The things that I see on a daily basis, I've seen many more orange flowers and it's just odd how often it has popped up. Now, in magic, orange is the color of energy and attraction. And this year has been the busiest and most professionally successful of my entire life. I really do feel as though I'm a magnet for increasingly wonderful things. You know, most of the opportunities I've gotten this year, I mean, you know, my work is what attracted these people, but the people were attracted and sought me out. I feel surrounded by this attractive energy and It's been really (laughs) great. It's been real nice. In other years, I had other colors. Uh, 2015, my color that year was actually like an indigo blue. And that kind of continued for quite some time. And I still find myself very drawn to it. The year that I started going to um, therapy and started treating my mental health, all year I had been really obsessed with this like very comfortable mustard yellow color. And yellow is the color of happiness. And I really was trying to seek out happiness kind of all over the place. And that year, I I really did in a big way. So paying attention to the color of the year might be something. (laughs) If you notice that you're obsessed with a color, even if it's especially if it's not like a very super popular color, uh, orange, I guess, was a little popular this year, I think. I haven't bought clothes really since spring, so I don't really know. Also happens to go great with all my black clothes. So that worked out. But uh, (laughs) pay attention to that. You might not have like a color of the year that pops up a bit more. But other artsy friends I know are like, oh yeah, I'll find myself, you know, just getting really, really into a color and wanting to see it everywhere and wanting to wear it and wanting to just live the orange lifestyle. You know, orange is the new pink. (laughs) So I consider these to be Almonds um, of the things that I'll, you know, some of the topics that I'll be dealing with through the year. Repeating numbers like, you know, one, 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 or four, 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 these are called angel numbers sometimes are, are a message from the universe from your spirit guides. According to numerology, every number has a meaning and the meaning is changed or amplified when that number is repeated. We all also have a life path number, which may appear a lot through our lives, uh, especially when we really need to get the message. I love seeing repeating numbers on the clock, so you know you just you look over and it just happens to be two twenty-two or eleven eleven, and you make a little wish or you consider a sign of good luck. I think that's really fun, um, and I mean that could happen multiple times a day, but it often does not. So I will usually make a little wish, like I just hope I have a great day or something specific, but I will pay attention for the next little while to to see what comes up and if I need to be paying a little bit more attention to it. Another place I see repeating numbers is in tarot. And this is where numerology kind of comes in. I recently did a tarot reading where I pulled four cards, one that represented the person I was reading for, and three for different elements of their future. The card representing the person was a seven, a number that usually means solo contemplation and a turn inward. All the cards in the future position were sixes, the number of social service and connection and community. And yes, I laughed at (laughs) 666. The reading was clear that the path to their future was marked by their connections with others and serving others, supporting charitable efforts, and working with others to get ahead. That also makes me think that the number six will appear quite a lot throughout their life, especially if they get off track the universe, you know, wants to, (laughs) wants to get them focused. There are also stalker cards. So you can have the same tarot card show up in every reading. There are actually spreads designed to use your tarot cards to deduce the meaning of the stalker tarot card. (laughs) We're desperate. This is a message that is very important, that affects different areas of your life or that will continue to stand in your way or continue to come up until you deal with it. I've also had cards show up in different readings about very similar things, so every time I've moved and it end up go- ended up going bad, the Eight of Wands would show up in a reading beforehand. In the deck that I used the most, which was the World Spirit Tarot, the wands were on fire and they kind of looked like fireballs raining down this isn't a negative card, right? It it just means a lot coming at you. So be prepared. But in general, these are all like, it's like success, right? A lot of stuff. But even now, when I see that card in a reading about moving, I stop and I pay extra attention because (laughs) this thing is always trying to tell me something that really matters. Over the last three years, I've shared a lot about my ongoing journey to better mental health. And I get messages all the time from listeners who are also struggling and looking for someone to talk to. Unfortunately, it can be very difficult to find therapy that is fully accessible, financially or otherwise. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is an online service that can connect you with real licensed counselors who can be available on your schedule and right where you are. With four different ways to communicate and a wide range of specialties, there's a good chance you can find someone perfect for you all without leaving home. Everything is confidential, and if you ever feel like your counselor isn't the right fit for you, you can switch right away. Not only is the service really affordable compared to in-person therapy, they also offer financial aid for those who need it. It's okay to need help. You deserve to get better, and you can start that journey at betterhelp.com fatfeministwitch and save 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com fatfeministwitch. Nature is a language through which the universe is always talking to us. Weather and nature omens exist everywhere. The arrival of certain animals, wind from a particular direction, or the activity in the sky. Sailors were particularly fond of natural omens like red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. This was an omen about clear or stormy weather that could, you know, save you from dying in the middle of the ocean. Aromancy is divination using atmospheric conditions, like observing things like Halley's Comet and wind directions, cloud formations, and storms. Eclipses have often been seen as omens, usually bad. (laughs) Also, any sort of ring or red tinge to the moon often meant danger or war or that evil spirits were afoot. Animals are also spiritual messengers. The sudden appearance of an animal signals different things depending on the nature of the animal itself. They serve as symbols of different kinds of energy we are manifesting or aligning with in our lives. The appearance of a black dog has always been a symbol of death or destruction. Rabbits are symbols of good luck and fertility, and doves are symbols of peace. There are a few ways animals communicate with us, and some are in the physical world and some are not. You may have a particular type of animal that you've always been interested in, or inspired by, or that appeared in recurring dreams, even if it's not one you ever had any sort of physical contact with. This animal and its nature can tell you a little something about yourself. I hate to bring Harry Potter in here like it's real, but but this is what the Patronus animal was. It was an animal that shared some spiritual element with the person using it and served as a protector in those moments. Animals also flit in and out of our lives all the time, and sometimes we come into contact with animals that aren't common in our area, or maybe just uncommon for the season. Much like other omens I mentioned earlier, they may also just appear more. (laughs) Maybe all of a sudden raccoons are everywhere, and not just in your trash, but on TV and online and in books, and you are just constantly seeing and thinking raccoons. Raccoons are animals of disguise and transformation. (laughs) And trash. (laughs) Trash pandas. Uh, (laughs) The raccoon is asking you to consider whether or not you live behind a mask, or if maybe the people around you present a false front. You may also be coming up on a period of change that will change you into something new. Someone you maybe wouldn't even recognize right now. It could also mean that you're hangry and need to go dumpster diving. (laughs) I love raccoons. They're so cute. (laughs) In general, um, city animals are considered somehow less magical, but they're just not. As someone who lives in a city with a lot of little animals around, even if you live in a concrete jungle, there are animals around you that you can learn from. So in general, birds really are the MVPs of the animal messenger kingdom. Throughout time, birds and winged creatures have been something like gods, able to leave the earth completely and get closer to the heavens. In ancient Rome, an entire field of divination and prophecy involving the study of birds, called augury, was a very distinguished profession. And political events had to be cleared as auspicious before proceeding. Birds communicate with us through their songs, through flight, through behavior, and by leaving gifts like feathers. I actually think I caught a very auspicious bird omen last weekend at the wedding of two of my friends. So we were up on the top floor of this tall building downtown here, right along the Detroit River. It's really beautiful. Um, so these are two people. One of them has kids already. So during the ceremony, when they were exchanging vows, there was a section that centered centered around them joining their families together, welcoming this new person as a parent and a guardian and, you know, as family, a member of the family with all of the kids and the couple. And it was just this really, really beautiful moment actually, I cried. (laughs) It really was a beautiful moment. As soon as I saw some of the kids like crying happy tears, I just like lost it. It was really beautiful. Um, but, But as they were, you know, sharing this really beautiful moment, this huge family of hawks like soared overhead around us, like at least 10 hawks soaring right over and all around us we could see them from the windows on all sides of this room I don't think my friends noticed they were pretty busy (laughs) but I noticed so when I got home I pulled out my copy of Animal Speak by Ted Andrews and turned to the section on hawks so these birds are a symbol of visionary power and guardianship and they inspire us to be creative and to accomplish our life's purpose unlike other birds hawks don't differ much between the males and the females, you know, they're both totally pretty. Sometimes in a lot of different bird species, the more vibrant and colorful bird is the male. But with hawks, they really complement each other. They're very balanced. They look very similar. They also mate for life. And when they pick a home, oh man, are they stay in there. That is their home, their territory. This was really cool because Right in the ceremony, the officiant was talking about the couple and how, you know, opposites attract. This may be true for others, but for them, it's how similar they are that makes them such a strong couple. And this is true. As someone who knew one of these people long before the other came along, they were, they're so much alike that they're this perfect team. Just a perfect team. They balance each other out so perfectly perfectly. It was just very true. And downtown here, where they got married, is a big part of their story. One of them is the president of the local BIA here. And they're both fixtures in the downtown community and at downtown events. You know, we all live down here and they get out a lot more than I do. (laughs) But um, downtown was a a a big part of their love story and so it was a part of their ceremony. So to see these birds that represent, you know, protection and guardianship and um mating for life and being incredibly similar with their partners and picking an area and making it their home and doing everything they can to protect their ter- territory. I read this as a very auspicious omen for them. It was super, super magical. So cool. <laughs> so, so cool. I was really excited about it, especially since I I also really love hawks. I think they are so cool. So if you find yourself coming across feathers more often, you could read this as a general sign that the universe has a message for you. Or you could look deeper into the particular bird that left that feather for you. I've had Cooper's hawks, blue jays, and even a pelican drop a feather right in front of my feet more times than I can count. And I always pick them up. But it is possible that you live in a place where some feathers you're, you're not allowed to keep. Just for various reasons. So make sure you always check the laws where you live. Uh, eagle feathers are one that most places in North America you're not supposed to pick up and keep eagle feathers or bits of eagle. Owls suddenly taking up residence in your neighborhood are a sign that you are coming into magical power and wisdom. They were associated with the goddess of wisdom, Athena, in ancient Greece. Especially if owls show up during the day, or if they're a type that is uncommon in your area, pay attention to when they show up and what happens after you hear them or after you see them. What kind of owl are they? Where did they come from? The most famous ominous birds are, of course, are the members of the Corvid family, especially crows and ravens and my beloved blue jays. They're so irritating, but that's what I love about them. (laughs) They're these little blue bitches and I just like them so much. So the raven is a messenger of truth and a harbinger of death. I mean, they have featured in mythology and lore for as long as those ravens have existed. They have this kind of playful trickster energy, but it comes out coming, you know, kind of intense and, <laughs> and a little bit scary. They think they're pulling pranks, but they're very, very intense birds and they scare us. <laughs> Their cry is very loud. They're a humongous bird and the cry was, a, was said to be a sign that someone was about to die, especially on the battlefield. In ancient Norse mythology, the god Odin had two ravens named Hugin and Munin, which meant thought and memory, who flew all over the world and delivered the news of life and death to the god. Ravens are incredibly intelligent and can even be taught to speak. So pay attention any time the raven begins to appear in your life. They're symbols of walking the line between the living and the dead, the mundane and the magical, and the light and the darkness. No conversation about the raven and its connection with death can continue without mentioning Edgar Allan Poe. In his famous poem, The Raven, a young person is mourning the loss of his love, Lenore, when he gets a visit from a talking raven, who seems to do nothing but remind him of his anguish. The raven is considered a prophet, devil, trickster, and a symbol of death or of death of the mind. You know the, The narrator is descending into madness over this grief of his lost love. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. <sighs> Distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished to morrow; vainly I had sought to borrow, from my book's surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. Doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore, Lenore, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore, Lenore, Merely this and nothing more back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon I heard again a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat at us, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven from the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not an instant stopped or stayed he. But with mine of lord and lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance at wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, Art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonium shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door with such a name as nevermore but the raven sitting lonely on the placid bust spoke only that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour nothing farther than he uttered not a feather then he fluttered till i scarcely more than muttered other friends have flown before on the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before but the raven still beguiling and all my fancy into smiling straight i wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door then upon the velvet sinking i betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy thinking what this ominous bird of yore what this grim ungainly ghastly gaunt and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore this i sat engaged in guessing but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushions, velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloated o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch! I cried. Thy goth hast lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil. Whether tempter sent, or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Prophet said, I, thing of evil, profit still if bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if with distant aiden. "'It shall clasp a Satan maiden "'whom the angels name Lenore. "'Clasp a rare and radiant maiden "'whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, "'Nevermore. "'Be that word our sign of parting, "'bird or fiend,' I shrieked, upstarting. "'Get thee back into the tempest "'and the night's plutonian shore. "'Leave no black plume as a token "'of that lie that thy soul hath spoken. "'Leave my loneliness unbroken.' Quit the bust above my door, take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted. Nevermore. Yeah, that was so fun. (laughs) That was super fun. So I hope it's okay that I did not announce that I was about to start a story, but I kind of wanted to trick you into thinking that it was another ad. So that was The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Probably one of the, the coolest poems with one of the, the best rhythms that's that's ever been written. And I was considering, you know, reading it for this episode and I was like, oh, maybe that's kind of cheesy. And I wrote it or I, and I read it and I literally got chills down my spine. So I knew it would be good. So in the raven, we see this bird that represents a whole bunch of things to this narrator. And to anyone else, a bird coming in and, and sitting in their house might mean something completely different. But this portrayal of the raven kind of hits on all of the points where it forces you to face the truth. And he had to face the truth that his love was gone. And it brings messages about death and, you know, his his love had died And it's also kind of frightening. It's, it's frightening, intense energy, even though the raven is not technically doing anything wrong because of their kind of trickster energy. So that is our most ominous bird, <laughs> our most famous of omens. So thank you all for tuning into this very special episode today. We are getting so close to Halloween, you guys. It's one week left. Oh, I am so excited. I am going to be doing a Very Fat Feminist Halloween special, and you can check my social media for more information about that coming up. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do that by going to my website, thefatfeministwitch.com, and clicking buy me a coffee. You can also join my private monthly membership group through Patreon, patreon.com slash the It's 10 bucks a month, and you get to join in on live meetups and full moons and... You know, I put up show notes for the shows and things like that. You can also, of course, just share the show with your friends. This really does help, uh, as well as subscribing and liking and giving feedback. All of that stuff really helps me make better episodes in the future. So I hope you all have a wonderful evening and a wonderful new moon weekend before our very spooky Halloween on Thursday, October the 31st. In the meantime, pay attention to the omens, to the signs and the symbols that the universe might be sending you.